Cherry Developer News. What episode are we on? Hey, to get our episodes, <laughs> you go to chariotsolutions.com slash devnews, and the answer is Chariot Developer News, episode number 79. 79, my God. For uh, Monday, February 10th, 2014, I'm Ken Rimple. I'm Joel Confino. We've just been geeking out on one of our news stories. So why don't we cover that one first, since we were kind of in the mood to talk about this right now. A um, couple of things are going on uh, around uh, formed objects. So let's start off with something interesting. Uh, talk about sh- snowshoe stamps. Yeah, so this is, uh, the website is beta.snowshoestamp.com. You did what I did. Uh, <laughs> so these are plastic devices, little objects, that you can uh, put on a touch phone, so like on an iPhone. So you take this little piece of plastic and you touch it to the screen, and it will register some sort of unique code so that you can unlock some kind of digital asset. So imagine like a little stamp and you touch it to the phone. Now we are assuming this must work through uh, touch, so that it must actually have on its uh, on this little stamp some sort of unique code that they say is, I guess, not easily um, copied. So some kind of unique super RFID looking thing, but instead of working with Bluetooth or RFID, it actually works with your phone's uh, you know, touch device, which is really awesome. And these, you can get a free kit that will send you some of these stamps and the developer API, and you can build applications on your phone with this. And the applications are kind of endless, but the idea might be you could make a game, and there is a game called Skylanders, which kind of works this way now, um, where you could buy some sort of uh, little token or model, say, online, and it would ship to you. And then when you use it in the game, you could use this little model to unlock, say, a character in a game. That's like a really simplistic example, right. but combining 3D printing with this kind of unique digital identity, it's amazing. And apparently you can get these stamps on their, on their homepage. The little example is just a square piece of plastic that you touch to the screen, but they show that you can have them formed in, in all kinds of different ways. So it could look like some sort of 3D model of something. Now, again, this isn't really open source. It, it, it basically, there's a, uh, a fee, for example, for monthly stamping or an API usage fee or a licensing fee, but the developer kit's free. And yeah, while so you're developing, kind of a, it's all free. So. Yeah, this is kind of a just a cool builder thing. Really neat. Yeah, yeah, and it's cool that you can get the developer kit for free. And when I got the developer kit, which they're still sending me, you can actually fill out a survey and get a T-shirt for free. So there's a lot of freeness going on yeah. with this, <laughs> and it's just such a novel thing that I really have to see this work. You, know, you have like, to go to that site if you're if you're listening to the Dev News in front of a computer. Go to beta.snowshoestamp.com. We have no connection to him besides Joel being interested and having a T-shirt from you know, filling out some uh, stuff. Survey. And, uh, <laughs> survey. See what a T-shirt does. Payola. Um, but no. So he's he's interested in it. But if you go to the website and look at the page, it looks like magic. When this guy puts this little stamp on an iPhone, it just flashes and goes to something. And That's a my thing. first thing was like, how? Right. Because it, it looks like it works like an RFID tag, but you're but it's not. It's um, crazy. You know, yeah. So anyway, it's neat. The way, whoever, however they got this to work, which we're going to investigate, uh, you know, very impressive. We're going to get to the bottom of this, Joel. <laughs> and it's working with the browser. That's the other impressive yeah, thing. What really they're cool. showing you in the demo is it's not some kind of specialized uh, application. So very cool. Now, the next thing uh, is kind of leading up uh, to this next topic, which is, you know, let's say you want to do 3D printing, but you don't have a 3D printer. So what are our options now? Yeah, so I was looking at this the other day. I was very interested. So once I found these stamps, I thought, okay, well, 
okay, so I'm going to make my own competing game to Skylanders. It's called Joel Landers. And <laughs> so, like, I'm going to sell these little action figures. <laughs> We're all going to be Joels. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is, a, and there's all kinds of cool things you could do with this idea of physical objects that, you know, interact. But anyway, so you need to do 3D printing. And I don't have a 3D printer. Um, so I looked at what are some cloud services for 3D printing. And one of them I found, and there's several, but it's called uh, cubify.com. Uh, C-U-B-I-F-Y.com. And again, you pay for this, but the interesting thing is you can go with, and there's others, um, you know, you can print small volumes of things. So you can get this 3D design software, design some sort of object, upload the uh, design file to this site, just like when you're getting a t-shirt printed, and they'll print your object, your model, in, and they have a bunch of different uh, material options. And I only recently found out you can 3D print in steel or brass. That's crazy. Or, yeah, like silver. I mean, like some really pretty substantial things. I thought 3D printing was still like, you know, cheapo plastic. Not true at all. No. There's a ton of kind of things you can print in. And, of course, you wouldn't have an, your own printer that could do all these things. But if you're just talking about a couple pieces, you know, you can get this done uh, on a website. So pretty awesome way for you to kind of dip your toe into 3D printing and see what kind of things are even possible. I'm just looking at some of the crazy prices and some of the fashion. So if you go to like the decor section mm -hmm. and you look at, have you looked at those yet? I um, haven't. Oh my God. Go to, go to, so it's cubify.com, right? So yep. you, go, you go to decor there and you pick like fresh fiber. Yeah. Fresh fiber tableware. That's one I like the best. I, yeah. I looked at them like this stuff is cool. And then I looked at the prices and almost fell like, over. Like $300 for a napkin hole or something. $799 yeah, yeah. for, I think it's a lamp. Um, what? <laughs> so maybe the pricing isn't all that great on this stuff yet, but that is funny. But there are some really Ivory crazy white stuff. Laser centered nylon. But yeah, if I was rich, I would be buying a bunch of stuff going, look at my cool fabricated stuff. But it's <laughs> so neat. And I was on uh, some other similar sites. Um, where this kind of got started was uh, uh, Justin, who's the uh, lead developer in Hate, posted, tweeted something about Thorn Dice. So a D20 dice, uh, you know, like a gaming die. Now you're but talking it, my it, language. But it looks like it's made out of thorns, and it was huge. It was double-sized. So it was like this really cool looking dice oh, and it was 3D, 3D printed out of steel. And I'm like, oh, wow. 3D printed out of steel? You mean you can like print swords and stuff just on a 3D printer? Apparently you can. And so a lot of metal, uh, jewelry obviously, and uh, little objects that are still kind of small. This, uh, I think some of these expensive items are really big. So I think for, yeah, for, for large items, it's still like pretty cost prohibitive. But uh, but just neat, really neat, and the customization part is really neat. So imagine if you could, you know, for a gift or something, make something that was extremely personalized that you kind of designed. And before, if you wanted to design something and make it out of metal, yeah, good luck with that. You know, you, yeah, yeah. You, what like have a little like you know forge in your basement or something? Of course. And now it's just <laughs> I mean, you? Not? <laughs> but now it's just uh, it's totally possible. Oh wow! I just put the thorn dice link in there as well. Yeah, that that's definitely cool. I was trying to hide that and pretend like I was into no, you know, you're sophisticated like tour. No, you're a nerd like the rest of us. You can't win. Um, all right, well, let's talk a little bit more about developer interest stuff. That was really neat to start off with, though. Um, let's talk a bit about uh, uh, let's see, GopherCasts. So GopherCast looks like a new uh, training video service for Go language stuff. Have you seen mm -hmm. this, Joel? I have not. Yeah. So this was a post that I believe by Eric Snyder or um, maybe Sujan, but I think it was Eric. Um, and he, he 
uh, gave me this uh, website, gophercast.io. Now, the first thing I thought of was we're going to get into a command line. We're going to type, you know, three, hit enter, and then type four and go down the gopher. Uh, remember Gopher from the internet from years ago? Oh, yeah, yeah. We're showing our age. Um, but, uh, yeah, it looks like there's the beginning of some videos on Go. So there's like a getting started with Go, uh, like starting lesson. Then there's Go language basics. These are all like five-minute lessons, it looks like. Uh, Martini and Markdown. So I guess Martini is some sort of web application server for Go. And then some basic stuff connecting Postgres to Go. And oh. who is this? This is Jeremy... Yeah, Jeremy. Hey, this is Jeremy, people. Just just Jeremy. Jeremy spoke in training. It's like Madonna, today. just one name. That's right. Or Prince, which is just a symbol. Um, <laughs> so anyway, goforcasts.io, and you can learn a little Go in there. Looks um, neat. Yeah, this is pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, let's go on to something else here. Uh, so Google, apparently, I think this is also a uh, an Eric, uh, is um, – it's an Eric. It's like a unit of measure. <laughs> um, <laughs> tech something measure. about something about Go or Python, then it's an error. Yes. Now this is uh, Chromecast. So I bought two Chromecasts. Have you ever bought one of those things yet? I have not. Oh, these are the neatest things ever. Don Coleman looked at me, famous author. Um, Don Coleman looked at me and said, <laughs> "The Don Coleman." The Don Coleman. Donk oh man. Um, but uh, yeah, so so uh, he looked at me and said, "Do you have a Chromecast yet?" And I said, no, what is that? And he explained what it did. And I thought, this is cool. So I went to Best Buy. It was like 30 bucks, and I picked one up. These are the coolest things ever, almost. Um, mm-hmm. What they do is they, they connect to your HDMI and the back of your TV um, mm-hmm. as another like you know input. They also have a little uh, USB. You, you would think it's a little odd, but they have a USB power unit connecting to them that goes mm-hmm. to the wall because they're not powerful enough to be powered by HDMI power. Um, but they're little Linux devices, I believe. And... The way it works is you register your Chromecast with you. And mm-hmm. when you're done registering with you, you can use your phone, your desktop with a Chrome plugin, uh, a tablet, to tell it to go open a certain piece of media. Mm-hmm. So let's say you have Netflix. Uh, Netflix is enabled with this. You can start playing your Netflix and say, oh, I want to send that to Chromecast. Actually, is it? I wonder if Netflix is. No, no, Netflix isn't. Google Play is. So the Google Play Store. Or if you're on YouTube on a web browser or on your phone, if you're on Android, you install like a Chromecast plugin. It enables all of your video streams to be sent to the Chromecast. So that's really cool. But what it actually does is it sends a request to the Chromecast and says, Chromecast, you go get this and stream it. Right. Now there's an advantage to that. Like I was, you know, flipping on different videos and watching my, uh, Okay, um, Downton Abbey. I'm sorry, I have to admit it. Uh, I was watching. Ooh, that <laughs> sorry, that 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 wrecks my reputation with the D12, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> there's, but, there's not enough D12s in. Uh, the save me from Downton Abbey. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I'm a sucker for the British uh, TV shows. But anyway, so I was watching my Downton Abbey. But you can close your um, your phone up and, and turn it off and still have it streaming. Because that is nice because Chrome- with AirPlay, that's kind of a pain in the neck. Yeah, exactly. But they wanted to avail avail you of that. So if you want to, as a developer, stream your content to the Chromecast directly, they've now opened up um, streaming SDKs. Now get this, not just for Android or Chrome, but also iOS. That's, that's huge. Yeah, that's, that's really huge. nice. Yeah, so they have like a, a, a public software development kit uh, that lets you do anything you want with it. Um, and you can do it just like AirPlay to the Google Stream uh, streaming API. Uh, and also they have a list of user experience guidelines, a design checklist, uh, and their their Google Cast extension, uh, which is the thing that you install to your phone, uh, integrates the new uh, streaming API. 
So check it out. Um, there's an Ars Technica article we'll point you to on our show notes page, which is at chariotsolutions.com slash devnews. Uh, and we're episode, what, 74, which is really weird. My power percentage is 74 right now. So numerologists uh, get crazy. But anyway, Chromecast uh, now able to stream as well as just tell you to tell the Chromecast to do things. That's really big if you want to have like a conference room with a giant TV on it. You plug in your Chromecast and everybody can stream stuff to it. That's really a neat idea. So you basically, instead of like taking a projector somewhere, right. just say that you have a large LCD panel. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine like doing PowerPoint presentations and stuff? In fact, you already yeah, do that. Yeah, I mean, why projectors still exist is beyond me. I mean, we should, I mean, it's because of the for wires bulbs. and all that, but yeah. For yeah. bulbs, to pay for bulbs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. How else will we burn out those bulbs? God, yeah. Um, they've got to be destroyed somehow. Uh, <laughs> here's another uh, kind of interesting thing. Um, Waz made a very interesting comment uh, at a show. Uh, where was he? It was a, an interview that he did. Um, and he mentioned that uh, it wouldn't be. He, he's very good for the off-the-cuff comments. He's not. I mean, I think he still has some stock in Apple, clearly. And he's, you know, he's kind of a, a person that has advised them. But he doesn't work there day-to-day. Uh, and so apparently... They were talking to him at Apps World North America. Um, there was a Wired uh, person running an interview there. Um, he was talking about a bunch of different things, including like his favorite uh, iPhone S color, 5S color. And then he mentioned uh, that Apple should release an Android handset. This is what he says, and I quote from the article on Wired.com. There's nothing that would keep Apple out of the Android market as a secondary phone market, said Wozniak, who it should be noted is no longer involved in the day-to-day workings of the company. And again, he says, we could compete very well. People like the precious looks and stylings of manufacturing that we do in our product compared to the other Android offerings. We could play in two arenas at the same time. <laughs> now, I know he was only thinking that in terms of he's smart. Therefore, he is applying his, you know, thinking to what could happen. I'm sure the people at Apple were like, what did I just say? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it is true, isn't it? I mean, you look at all these Android phones. I mean, I have a Galaxy Note 3. I love it. I switched I do not like the iPhone anymore because it's just too small for my eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and and But it's funny, you know, they put every little feature you can think of in the phones. If there was a way they could put a laser to shoot people with in their <laughs> phones, they would add it and then just not mention it, it would show up, you know, and then they would hope people would say, this is great, we got to buy another one, um, you know. So, you know, it's a lot different design thought process. And in fact, there's more of a thought process around, you know, overall design and kind of the uh, what it means to have an iPhone. It'd be interesting to see what they would do if they were doing Android. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't think that they should do this. I don't I think Waz is out of his mind a little bit because <laughs> because because this is um, you know everything Apple's done they've always paired they've really had a lot of tight control over the software. You know, I think MacBooks oh, yeah. are good because they run the operating system and so they know all because they compare the operating system and the hardware together. You know, they can make them match each other's quirks. And Windows always suffered from having to run on every single tin can and, you know, having, like, weird hardware problems that they had to overcome with their software. Oh, God. I'm having that problem right now. So my son has a, a, a an AMD PC, and he has this GE Force, you know, 550 Ti card. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't work. And I yeah. can't activate it. And there's no way, because the hardware is incompatible for some strange reason. I don't know if the card is dead. I don't know if the, the motherboard was fried when I put it in somehow. And I give. Um, yeah. But yeah. remember, though, Apple actually forked via, from Berkeley Systems Division's Unix. Sure. So OS X is really, um, what is the, what's the, the underlying operating system they call it? Debian? 
Maybe no. It, it, I know it's BSD. I mean, it's BSD, oh. but there's a they have their own little name for it. Um, Mac, and then on Mac top OS. of that, yeah, under macOS, there's there's a layer underneath it. Oh. I forget the name. That's like their version, their brand of um, a fork of BSD. But they could do that with with the the Google stuff, just not bloody likely, because they're yeah. potentially cannibalizing their own sales. Yeah, because they get a lot of money through the App Store, I would imagine things like that, oh, which yeah. are only you know. Yeah. So so you know, and the other problem is that the uh, it's not like the other phone manufacturers don't produce nice phones. Like Samsung produces nice hardware. Yeah, I love the so hardware. I think, yeah. So if Apple got into that game, they would be competing purely on the hardware because the software would be Google's. Right. And so, you know, that's a tougher thing. They they make, you know, I think, you know, their brand because the whole device works so well together. It's all integrated. Yeah, I don't think they want to just play with just, you know, go head to head with Samsung just in hardware. I'm not sure how that buys them a lot. Yeah, just a very interesting comment by him. Uh, he's yeah, always, it he's is. good for them, you know? Definitely. <laughs> he really is. Yeah, he's a really smart guy and a really nice guy, too. He really is, yeah. We both met him last year. That was very cool. Um, okay, so let's see. Uh, let's talk about the mobile personal theater with built in premium audio. This thing, if this doesn't scream Nerd Alert, but also scream the coolest thing ever. I don't yeah. know what it does. So go yeah, ahead, so, talk about this Kickstarter campaign. Well, so it's basically virtual reality glasses. But if you, um, what it looks like is imagine you had a set of headphones, like a pretty big set of cans, like Beats Audio or something, you know, big can headphones. And then you took the part that goes across your head, like the headset, and you flipped that down in front of you and made that a visor that you look into. Like that's exactly, Cylon. Yeah, that's exactly the design of this. As a matter of fact, these sorts of, this, uh, set of glasses essentially is a set of headphones and the part that that goes along your head actually flips down and becomes a visor but the reason this perked my attention was that um, you know I do a lot of work to try to make my workstation ergonomic so I've got a, a standing desk so that I'm not always sitting I have a special chair and all this kind of stuff to avoid neck and back and wrist pain and really, the culprit is laptops, which have the monitor at the completely wrong place. You know, your monitor is supposed to be uh, basically where you would be looking naturally if your head was just in a natural position. Instead, the monitor's right down, you know, attached to the keyboard, so you're always looking down. And so you've got this ergonomic mess. But if you could put on uh, virtual reality glasses, so essentially like Google Glass, but Google Glass, I don't, I have not experienced, but I don't think would necessarily be vivid enough to right. use as your main monitors to program. But imagine if you could put on a pair of glasses, you could see whatever, a simulated 36-inch monitor right in front of you. Um, then that would solve a lot of the problems that you have with ergonomics because your head, you could just put your head at whatever is the most relaxed position. You wouldn't worry about having to constantly aim your head at where the monitor is, which is probably not where it needs to be, you know, to have your neck and your back and everything aligned. And then laptops themselves wouldn't need monitors. So in terms of back, in terms of battery life and things, you know, you would just be your your laptop would be there, but it would just need a keyboard. So I think it, if you know, virtual reality headsets have been. Uh, around for a while and they've sort of been a pipe dream in terms of how well they've worked but um, this looks to be one of the the first that I've seen that looks small enough and not ridiculous enough that theoretically you know you could try it and and uh, you know could be really nice for eliminating uh, back and neck pain I'm just hoping that someday there's a startup with lots of seed money and they blow all their money on headsets like this and you go in and you see like this whole set of like what looked like Cylons or drones just working with their headphones straight 
and I, they it, can't hear you either, so they might really be the robots that Sujan's well, looking for. It, it does make you very vulnerable to pickpocketing. I would say, <laughs> but I would be, um, I would be very, you know. Kensington, lock yourself to your desk. <laughs> I, I would love to use one, but yes, I think I would get some looks at Star at Starbucks as a uh, whole you know, body Kensington lock. Yeah, so I was like, can somebody go uh, wake up C three PO over there? Cause, <laughs> <laughs> but it's so his cool. latte is ready so. i would want one it's not not for nothing i would want one i just wouldn't oh, want it in white i think that really would make me look like a turbo droid um yeah oh that thing is so cool yeah so it's apparently it's uh scroll down to the uh, specs it's uh what is it um 1280 by 720 resolution per eye which you know hey that's not bad i can't see much deeper than that anyway with uh you know the, the distance it's probably going to be looking like so very cool very neat i want one but i'm not going to spend 4.99 on it that's what you would need to do to get one um, yeah but, but, but actually it's not you know, that you much think about a monitor that's the thing i mean i have a double monitor set up and a right uh a standing desk and the standing desk was about 600 dollars. each monitor is like 300 dollars, and the special chair i have is expensive uh and so you know if you take all that and you say Hey, here's you know VR glasses. What did those used to be when they came out? You know, like five grand or something. You know, something really ridiculously unattainable. But now we're seeing them come down into a price range that theoretically, you know, would be workable. Yep, you get yours uh, at the prompt time frame of December 2014. But it's cool. I like it. Yes. Yeah. All right. Keep looking for you to wear that one day at work. <laughs> well, well, plus you can make your HR department buy it for you. Like, <gasps> oh. My neck, it hurts so bad. I need the virtual reality glasses. I want to go into that meeting with you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Flappy Bird. What's Flappy Bird? Is this some sort of open source Twitter? What is it? Oh, you've never heard of Flappy Bird? Are I you being serious? Or is this is. a leading question? No, it's not a leading question. I don't know what Flappy oh, Bird is. The story of Flappy Bird will be told from now to the end of time. Uh, or the end of the so, week. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, now for the next five minutes. Right. So Flappy Bird is an iOS game. Oh, it I is, do know this game. Go you ahead. did hear about this. So this is the worst game in the world. Like I played it for a minute and I hated it. And that's sort of its allure. Like you have a bird and you have to fly him essentially through gates. And if he hits any of the gates, he dies and your game is over. It's basically completely impossible to play for more than three seconds. So it's My like a game where a, a port of this. Yeah. it's so hard that you can you know that you die in seconds of playing basically you don't even make it through the first gate well you know so i just deleted it actually what happened though was it's become a worldwide phenomenon where people have these really hilarious um posts uh, you know reviews of the game like i used to have a life and now you know i i've started this game and it's terrible <laughs> and i'm addicted and i've moved out of my house i've abandoned my family i'm in a hotel and i'm still there come help me you know like crazy stuff like that but just humorous <laughs> You know, this game has ruined my life and it will ruin yours, you know, delete it immediately. You know, and all these sorts of things. But it's be it was the number one game in uh, on the iOS, you know, on the App Store. It was making the developer $50,000 a day in ads. And he pulled it yesterday because he said that it was causing too much attention. Um, uh -huh. So, I don't know, for $50,000, I figured he could just buy better shades. But <laughs> <laughs> Shave or but, something, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, um, <laughs> you know, it, it was interesting. So it's like this game that, despite it being terrible, yeah. is legendary, maybe because it's so hard. This is interesting that it's so hard mm -hmm. that people just, they couldn't accept that they couldn't get one point in it. That was one of the <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I Oh, wow. 
I graduated from college. I can't get a zero in this, what if, you know? What if and software then, consulting worked like that? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I can't like, get one good build. Okay, yeah. you're hired. <laughs> that's right. Like, there is something that's going to go right today, and it's going to be Flappy Bird. Oh, no, it's not. Oh, no, it's not, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> and so it rocketed to this amazing fame despite having, you know, almost no real merit. And so it's just interesting. And for developers, it kind of gives you hope that, you know, I don't know. I guess it's like winning the lottery, but you know, you could make that one game that could make you fifty thousand dollars a day. Interesting, even still more interesting that this guy pulled it. So Flappy Bird comments. I gotta find if there's. I guess it's not on the App Store anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What a shame. Flap- there's gotta be a cached version of those. Yeah, comments Flappy somewhere. Bird reviews. I mean, it's gotta oh, be one of the. Uh, you know, one of the best. Uh, oh, here we go. Twenty-one reviews of Flappy Bird that are in eyes, eyes tunes. Oh, uh, there, it's in there. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, they're they're on there. I, I used to be like you. I, a young man, once played online with friends. I once attended a school. I once talked to my friends. I never want to go down. I never wanted to go down this road. It started when my brother downloaded the Devil's Game. I will never let him beat me in anything. I will just keeps on going and going. <laughs> And at the end, and at the end, it just says, "Don't end up like me." Yes. <laughs> oh my god! So yeah. there's this place on Amazon Prime called Funniest Reviews. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of it, but they actually they they got wise to this stuff. Yeah. So there's this thing called the Hutzler 571 Banana Slicer. <laughs> It says, what can I say about the 571B banana slicer that is already hasn't been said about the wheel, penicillin, or the iPhone? Um, <laughs> as shown in the picture, the slices is curved from left to right. All of my bananas are bent the other way. <laughs> Bic, here's one. Bic crystal for her ball pen. Okay. This product is fantastic for those days when my prose is suffering from that not so. Oh, no, I can't say that one. Hulk sad. Hulk demand Bic for him. That's the one. Oh, man. Well, let me see if I can find Okay, so, so while we're, we are uh, totally, all, you know, completely jumped the shark. <laughs> you may be aware that there is this book, children's book, which my children love, called The Story About Ping. It's about a duck. Have you ever heard of it? No, I haven't heard that one. The story so it's a very Ping. famous book. It might have been written like in the 40s or something. It's called The Story About Ping. And so there's a review on Amazon called Ping. I love that duck. The Story About Ping. Using deft allegory, the authors have provided an insightful and intuitive explanation of one of Unix's most vulnerable networking <laughs> utilities. Even more stunning is that they were clearly working with a very early beta of the program as their first book appeared in 1933, decades before the operating system and network infrastructure were finalized. So, so he goes on and on. Wait, I'm going to jump the shark further. So on the Amazon.com page, here's yep. another one. Uranium ore by Images SI Incorporated. So it's an image of uranium ore. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, was very, <laughs> I was very disappointed to have my uranium confiscated at the airport. It was a gift <laughs> for my son for his birthday. <laughs> also, I'm in prison now, so that's not good either. <laughs> Wait, it's not cat food. The cat's huge and well, doesn't really look much like a cat anymore. Kelly. <laughs> I purchased this product... 4.47 billion years ago. When I opened it today, it was half empty. <laughs> I'm post, if you send me that link for the, well, put the, put that other link in the show notes if you can. Oh, I have to because this guy's been <laughs> up with. Even with these problems, the story of playing has earned a place in my bookshelf, right between Stephen's advanced programming in the Unix environment and my dog-eared copy of Dante's seminal work on MS Windows Inferno. <laughs> 
Oh my god! All right, all right. Let me okay, just throw that in. Hold on. So, so this is the funny Amazon reviews. Yeah. Oh, oh god. I hope this makes some people hurt in pain from laughing. All right. Um, and then we'll 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 wrap it up with promises in wicked details. So, um, I think you and I were talking about promises a little bit this week uh, yes. when I asked you if you could do the dev news the rest of your life, and I could give it up. Um, <laughs> I, 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 how about the Q promises? Yeah. Okay, that's fair. But Matt yes. Greer. Uh, Matt Greer wrote this uh, article, this blog article, mattgreer.org, G-R-E-E-R, um, Promises in Wicked Detail on 9th of February. So this is very fresh. Um, he's talking about promises in general, um, how they're a little bit brain bending, and he goes through a lot of different cases here. So, you know, um, he talks about a really simple implementation, like you say you're going to do something, and it's synchronous, uh, and then you pass a function into the function and process it. Uh, with a callback, and then you uh, move to a promise-based solution from then by providing some sort of like check that says, is it done yet, or wait till it's done, uh, with something like a then method. Uh, and then, so basically, he's building up his own little promise API. And he goes through, yeah, looks like about five, six pages worth of detail on how promises work. He gets to the point where he goes into multiple thens and you know talks about like how to deal with chaining the promises together. And things like that how to deal with rejecting of promises so you're done with it uh, you don't want to deal with it you want to reject it um, promises that can swallow errors a lot of really good stuff here so uh, if you're looking for just a good general overhaul or understanding rather of why people are using promises and what they do for you this is a really nice well-written article now that is really good and, and the issue that I was coming up with over the weekend that Ken was looking at for me and helpful was simply that you know, in essentially modern JavaScript frameworks, MVC frameworks like Angular, and I'm sure Ember too, um, controllers are returning, are getting <clears throat> promises back, not data, because the data is actually being loaded asynchronously in That's an right. AJAX call. And so the controller, at the controller level, you're dealing with promises, and then at the view level, though, you have to deal with actual data and actual values. So somewhere you have to unwrap those promises, basically wait till whatever asynchronous thing happened returns, and in different frameworks, I'm sure it's different, but in Angular, there's like five different ways that that can happen. And so you have to really start thinking about, you know, be really familiar with promises and the fact that your controller data is not really the data, it's a promise of the data will eventually get there. And, you know, making sure that you don't show the view or at least the part of the view that you want to have this data in before the data is actually returned. Right. So it's a really good thing to get uh, familiar with. And I'm definitely be reviewing this uh, just to really understand promises because they're such a fundamental um, concept that you kind of have to have to know, uh, or you could get tripped up on. You know, it's interesting with Angular. One of the things you can do um, if you're an Angular geek is <clears throat> you can have some sort of uh, indicator if you want to variable on your scope that starts as let's say false, and do an ng show based on when it turns true. Uh, and in your callback function, basically in the function that calls your service that waits for the promise. In the then method, you could flip it to true and then set the model variables or vice versa. Mm. Um, so you could do something like that even, where you know you just don't show the block until it shows up. Yeah. Or disable it or do whatever you want to do. So a lot of really neat things you could do, but it all starts with the concept of a promise. And that holds true for this framework and a lot of other JavaScript frameworks because JavaScript, by its, by its very nature, you want to keep the um, main thread from waiting for anything. It's mm. a, a response-based uh, asynchronous processing engine. So very nice. 
Okay, well that that'll do it for developer news number seventy four. My gosh, we're getting old. Um, so, <laughs> if you want to send us feedback, please do. Um, we're at at TechCast. That's the best way to get a hold of us. Oh, I've got a child talking to me here. Um, so yes, so uh, you could do that. You can uh, subscribe to us by going to uh, CherrySolutions.com slash DevNews and clicking on the iTunes or the uh, uh, RSS feed links. And what else, Joel? Do you want to talk about Hadle for one second? Uh, sure. Um, you know, we've been doing some really interesting stuff with Hadle, but uh, it's a social Q&A platform for your company that uh, provides you with a nice private uh, way to have question and answer for your site or for your company and, and stop knowledge from getting lost in email and in stuck in people's heads. So, you know, check it out, Hadle.com, H-A-Y-D-L-E.com. That's what I've been uh, working on in our team for, for a while now. And we're, uh, I want to mention two things that are coming up for us in the training group. So we do have some training coming up, um, uh, public training. Uh, if we fill the seats, we'll do it. And there's an AngularJS Fundamentals course coming up on February 19th. Uh, I would register now if you want to go. Um, we have uh, a whole bunch of basics around how to get started with AngularJS. Um, we talk about modules, controllers, views, scopes, directives, how to unit test, uh, how to end-to-end -end test it. Uh, and we'll use frameworks like Grunt, uh, to do our builds. Uh, and then we also have a core spring course coming up if you're a spring developer, uh, and that's on February 25th. That's the certified uh, spring source training from VMware, I guess now Pivotal, uh, that we've taught for years. And that's uh, certainly going to talk about spring 4. I can bring it up in the course, but it's definitely covering spring 3.1 and higher. Uh, that's a good comprehensive course on spring. Uh, we also have some seats open with Fast Track to Scala. That's coming up on March 4th. Um, we have about five seats left. So if you're looking to take a course on Scala, this is the one that Martin Odersky himself designed. Uh, Heiko Seeberger uh, from, from TypeSafe helped to design it uh, as well. And uh, our instructor, Michael Pig, is a uh, very, very versed in Scala consultant. So he has practical knowledge he can give you there. Those are all at chariotsolutions.com slash training. And uh, also want to mention we have the Philly Tech Week specials coming up. So, you know, right after, or I guess right before Philly Emerging Tech, there's a Philly Tech Week, uh, the week of April's, I guess it starts on April 5th and goes to April 11th or something like that. Uh, and we are running two events around that. I'm running a $50 uh, hackathon on AngularJS on April 8th. We'll do kind of a subset of what we do for the training and let people bring their ideas in and hack around. We'll do a little bit of lecture, uh, let people do a lot of hacking, and we'll give them some samples to play with. Uh, and that's <clears throat> from 9 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. at Chariot in Fort Washington. Again, you can get that from the, the, the training page. Uh, and we also have another one for uh, modern JavaScript build tools that uh, is also up there, or at least should be. Yeah, i got to put it up today. Uh, modern JavaScript build tools, and that also... Uh, will be a $50 uh, fee to come see. And you can play around with uh, uh, Grunt to do some basic build workflow, testing workflow with things like Karma uh, and, and Jasmine, uh, and also learn how to deal with dependencies with things like Bower and how to install various um, NPM uh, modules and utilities such as Grunt. So that's also up on our training site. So a lot of stuff going on. And of course, if you want to get registered for Philly Emerging Tech at phillyemergingtech.com, you better do it quick because we're selling out soon. Uh, so that is April, what date is that? Philly ETE, I should know this off the top of my head because I'm the co-chair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just get involved when we start working it. Um, April 22nd and 23rd, 
2014, a lot of huge names are coming to speak at this place. Uh, and so if you just go to phillyemergingtech.com, uh, you will see lots of really, really big names, lots of very interesting frameworks and technologies that you'll be talking about all year long. And again, that's phillyemergingtech.com, and that will take you to the ETE website to do the registration. And right now, you know, it's only 395 bucks for two days of sessions. That's a fantastic deal. All right, that's it. Enough plugs. So for the developer news, I'm Ken Rimple. I'm Joel Confino. Have a good week.